Hey, hey Hugh, how's it going? So we start the show, right? What show? Uh, the show that's called Project A Plus, a show where we infrequently discuss films. Well, on the show, we frequently discuss films, mm. but the show is infrequently released. And I would say that we often discuss things other than film, too. It's true. Buckle up for some of that this episode. <laughs> No, no, we're going to be laser-focused on it this time. No, I do have a little a little nugget to uh, dispense with before we Let's hear it. deal with the main course. Go for um, it. But we, before, we should probably say what the main you, uh, course is first, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, this episode, we're going to tackle the... Uh, we're going to do a little bit of a holiday special. That holiday being Halloween. We're going to tackle mm. uh, the newest Adam Sandor movie. Uh, uh, movie Halloween! <laughs> You'd be Halloween if you couldn't get that. Yep. Um, we are your regular hosts, uh, Hunter Dubois and uh, Hubie Hamilton. Hubie <laughs> Dubois! Hunter Dubois! I don't even know what voice he's doing, though. It's, that's, the, that's the tricky thing. It's kind well, of hard we'll to get into that. <laughs> we will get into that. That's true, we will. We will, indeed. Um, but first, uh, we're going to ask each other how we've been. Starting with you. Mm. How have you been? Uh, I've been okay. I've been working. So where have you been working? I don't think the podcast listeners are aware. Or maybe they are. I uh, at a at a at a bookshop. I don't think so. Wow, bookshops are open in Minneapolis apparently. Yeah, yeah. Not so in uh, Melbourne. Uh, no, not at present. Uh, I, I mean, they've just announced some lifting of restrictions in a week or so, but at the moment. But you, you said you had something very specific you wanted to talk about, so uh, let's get on with it. I do. I do. But I thought you wanted to talk about yourself a little bit more. Nope. <laughs> That's right. inaccurate. Fine, fine, fine. I gave you the, the opportunity. That's just all I wanted to know. I talked, I talked about myself. I told the audience what I'm doing. All right. Um, yeah, so as I said, there'll be some easing of the restrictions in Victoria. Uh, the last couple of days, there's only there's only been uh, reports of one or two cases per day, down from like 700 a few months ago. Um, so so I've been doing a lot of cooking recently. Mm. Actually, I do a lot of cooking all the time because yeah, that's too. the only way I eat in general. I cook uh, lockdown I cook or, or no lockdown twice a week. You probably cook more than that. I cook every night. But I also live with somebody who cooks twice a week. So I cook seven nights a week. And uh, two nights a week we go over to one of Alicia's parents' house, and the last week we normally have leftovers. So there you go. Hey, let's hear it. So what's uh, you've been cooking? So yeah, I've been cooking a lot recently, and I fixated on two dishes of late. Hmm. One is majadra, and the other is mapo tofu. Right. Hmm. Now my dad used to cook mapo tofu when I was a kid, but up until this point, I'd never actually made it myself. Muppet tofu? Mapo tofu. M-A-P-O. M-A-P-O. Okay. I'm just going to get a visual for this. It's a famous tofu dish. Okay. I'm not a tofu eater, so... Actually, I did cook tofu this week, but who cares? Okay, whatever. It's a Szechuan dish. Hmm. Most famous for its application of Szechuan peppercorns, I think. Well, one account we'll is that. that this dish existed as early as 1254. Indeed, both of the dishes I'm going to speak about are old historical dishes. Mm. As for majadra, um, I don't think I'd ever tried the traditional majadra, let alone cook it, although I've had similar meals. Um, anyway, the reason why these two dishes came into my orbit recently um, was largely as a result of two cooks whose recipes I tend to uh, use a lot. Oh, boy. Uh, one of them is, is Kenji Lopez-Alt uh, of nice. Serious Eats, the good food website, I think. Um, and he also published the book, The Food Lab. The other one is Yotam Erlengi. Uh, I think you've heard of him, right? No. Okay, never mind. Famous uh, British chef um, who had some popular vegetarian cookbooks. But anyway, the former Wait, what was chef name? Yotam Erlengi. Okay, yeah, yeah. I've seen some of his cookbooks at my store, actually. So. Yeah, yeah. There you go. You work at a bookshop. That's You'll true. probably find the food lab there also. Probably. You'll find both their books. Anyway, so the the so Kenji Lopez has described Mapo Tofu as like his single favorite comfort food dish. 
and Ottolenghi has similarly described Majajara as his favourite comfort food dish. And it wasn't as if I was consciously like seeking out celebrity chef comfort food dishes. <laughs> it just so happened that these were the last two dishes I, I wanted to master and, and cook for myself and try. Now both are delicious by the way, but everyone knows that if they've heard of them and had them. The interesting thing about this not especially interesting anecdote is the connection these dishes have to one another. Not just, not just via the way that uh, the respective chefs have described them, but the fact that they're both, um, as you've already noted, very old recipes and specifically very old kind of peasant dishes with simple, inexpensive ingredients. That's funny because you're not a peasant though. I'm not a peasant. I'm appropriating peasant culture. You, you fall outside the traditional class structure. That's right. I'm classless and raceless. <laughs> so with Mapo tofu, legend has it that uh, laborers would bring their own tofu and beef to a local restaurant owner in Chengdu, which is a city in the Sichuan province of China. And the chef there would use that as the basis for the dish as a cheap meal. Now, majajara is a version of a traditional Middle Eastern dish, um, I think used for like ceremony, ceremonial purposes uh, with meat, but majajara is the meatless version that was popular among the poor because it was inexpensive. Um, and it's also used during meat-free fasts as well. But here's the truly fascinating connection that I had no idea about. It's just coincidental that I cooked both of them in succession. Oh my god, dude, holy shit. The mapo in mapo tofu means pockmarked old woman or grandma. And it was named because that was the appearance of the woman who created it, right? It's kind of a mean name <laughs> for the dish. But anyway, um, I recently found out what majudra means. And what does it mean, you ask? You beg? Why, it just happens to be the Arabic word for pockmarked. So I've been cook cooking and eating pockmarked peasant dishes from the uh, East and the Middle East. That's my story. Now we can get to the show. <laughs> Did you enjoy that? No. <laughs> you learnt something? No. All right, cue whatever amazing Hubie Halloween theme song I've concocted. Oh, you gotta include that in there. I'll try. So what is Hubie Halloween? So Hubie Dubois, aka Adam Sandler, is uh, sort of the uh, laughing stock of the town of Salem, Massachusetts, which is famous for being a witch place. And uh, which Hubie, place? A witch place. Oh, sorry. Um, Hubie, uh, he's kind of an incel, I guess. <laughs> I guess he is an incel. No, he's got a girlfriend in Canada. What are you talking about? <laughs> okay, so he's an incel. Uh, and he is sort of the uh, butt of everyone's joke, and he also happens to be a huge fan of Halloween, despite the fact that he's a huge, like, scaredy cat or pussy and gets scared by literally everything in the movie. So I don't really understand how he reconciles his love of Halloween with his, uh, uh, perchant for, uh, he's scared of by everything. I didn't really, it didn't really track for me. So does he actually, like, love Halloween, or does he just love trying to keep everyone safe on Halloween. I'm, I didn't really get it. Yeah, I guess it's kind of the four. But at one point, his mom says, your favorite holiday is Halloween. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So the movie opens. Someone has escaped from a mental asylum, right? Uh, like I said, Hubie loves to keep people safe on Halloween. He's like an unofficial, or he's declared himself to be like a Halloween security expert or something like that. And he runs around on his bike. He's got like a thermos and he just you know i don't know patrols the streets looking for halloween terror um there's a pretty woman who he's creepily obsessed with 
<laughs> anyway, so he's creepy obsessed with this woman who was uh, what a twist, twist among twists, obsessed with him too. Um, but uh, someone is sort of um, kidnapping people, and uh, basically the crux of the movie is, you know, who's been kidnapping people. That's kind of the very loose plot structure that's going on here. But mostly it's just an excuse for saying we're going to do some stick and then all his friends to hang out. <laughs> I think is basically it, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think one of the main things that uh, you define comedy by, I think at least in terms of me, for, for the quality of a, of a comedy film, uh, you can turn to how funny you found it. I think that's a pretty you know easy and useful uh, barometer for, for testing these stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't really care, you know, the differentiation between, like, laugh out loud funny or, you know, clever funny. But uh, I think, uh, you know, it's important for a comedy to be funny. Um, so I guess my question for you is, uh, did you find uh, this movie, Hubie Halloween, to be uh, a funny experience? Or uh, was it a, 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 a dire, uh, you know, laugh-free experience? Uh, let me put it this way. I was amused by it, not from it. Mm. So let's 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 start with the the positives, okay? Mm. Or rather the one positive. Let's see, I'm trying to rack my brain about that. <laughs> <laughs> so the, personally for me, the the one positive thing that I can say about the film Hubie Halloween is that it follows uncut gems in Adam Sandler's filmography. <laughs> that is funny. And seen through that lens, framed by the question, what's Sandler going to do after uncut gems? It's perfect. But I don't, I don't <laughs> see, even the, even the pleasure for that is, is ruined to some degree in that this is what Sandler always does, though. Well, I know, yeah, yeah, because, like, at this point, I think the pattern is well established. Every so often, say, what is it, once every ten films... Sandler kind of surfaces from the bottom of his barrel to uh, appear in an art house movie and surprise everyone that he can act. And then he goes right back to <laughs> churning out these pieces of shit. But I, I do like the fact this time is slightly different because mm. even before Uncut Gems come out, he had done uh, The Week Of and Murder Mystery, mm. right? which were much better reviewed than his previous Netflix films. You, even if Murder Mystery is itself completely terrible, I did not watch the week of, but Murder Mystery yeah, is awful. I didn't either, but um, Murder Mystery was what it was. Um, oh, which is awful. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> you, better, you may, you may look a bit more favorably after this. I don't know. <laughs> I will say that uh, Sandor does seem more engaged in this film. Than I would typically think. Like, it definitely more engaged than like murder mystery, where he doesn't seem like he's like on screen. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't, I can't really <laughs> discern a, a vast difference between his energy levels. <laughs> I feel like, film, I feel like anyway. he felt, I feel like he felt way more committed in this than he did in, in murder mystery. Maybe because like murder mystery, he's like barely there. You know, like he, he doesn't even do a funny voice. <laughs> but our our opinions aside. Hmm. Murder Mystery was pretty well-received, comparatively speaking. So I think that Night Of was even more well-received. It was, yeah. The week of. I mean, this film has been, like, uh, t- like tortured in, in the review. Uh, I, I haven't looked at the reviews. Right now it's got a 48 on Rotten Tomatoes, which is, which is not too bad, bad for a sound yeah. the joint. Yeah. So. But then, so we, had, so we had those two films. So he's building up the goodwill. Then we had Uncut Gems itself. Mm. And even though on a couple of occasions previously he'd already demonstrated that he can act right yeah this is just by far his most acclaimed performance for sure. yeah and his most actorly performance as well or at least his most technically challenging performance because mm. like something like punch drunk love is like is like responding to the adam yeah. sandler persona it's, right? so it's like it's the mirror with stories you know yeah whereas this he really had to inhabit a different type of person i'm not i can't remember if this happened with punch drunk love but Definitely there was a bigger push for, like, um, mm, Sam like to be Glory. nominated yeah. for an Oscar and all that sort of stuff, right? Mm. It wasn't just a surprise. It was like, wow, this is an amazing performance. And, and then it, he is did a, the, it, is, it is a good performance. For it sure. is a good performance. Then he did the short film with the Safdie brothers. Mm, Keep building good. that goodwill. He had the speech. At, I think it was the Independent Spirit Awards that went viral. Mm. 
keep building that goodwill. And you're like, maybe maybe this is Sandler's mature phase. Maybe he's finally changed. <laughs> and then, <laughs> oh, and then what's the very next time we see him on screen? <laughs> well, we see him in trailers in this movie. <laughs> That's true. I, I do like that. I, I agree with you that I, I, I enjoy the fact that he uh, has, has, is, is adamantly himself and refuses yeah. to... Um, to adhere to uh, what other people would have project upon him. And even reflect cha- changing mores in any particular substantive way. Mm. Um, so I don't really know what to say about this film because it's not really a film. <laughs> That's true. It feels like it was written in an afternoon. There, <laughs> there are no, like, jokes here. And the, the comedic burden is all on Sandler as the protagonist, mm. right? And I think the performance would be mortifying to watch if it weren't for the fact that he clearly doesn't give a shit about what someone like me or you would think about That's this. true. That's true. He knows exactly what our type would think. And he knows that he's satisfied himself and his dumb friends that he's wrapped into this mm. film. And he knows there's an inbuilt audience for this shit. Mm. Which maybe makes it more watchable because you don't feel embarrassed on his behalf as I might do if it was someone, like, desperate to be liked doing this type of performance. That's right. But um, I already have access to Netflix. I didn't have to spend any money on this. Mm. Yes, it wasted, you know, whatever it was, an hour and 100 hours of my time. But I would have wasted that anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I, I, I want to call this form insulting. Mm. Insulting that Sandler and co. thought they could coast by with this little amount of effort. But, again, I can't because it's not for me. Yeah. There is an audience for it. And, yes, he can coast by with this amount of effort, and he has been for decades. So <laughs> that's that's my opinion on this film, if you can discern an opinion amongst that rant. Uh, what about you? Uh, to be honest, I was, I was kind of excited for this movie. <laughs> I kind of was too, actually. I, I feel like my taste in comedy has become distinctly more lowbrow over the course of the last like year or so. Year or so. And I, I feel like there's been, like, a slow contingent of people, you know, some of whom I follow on Twitter, who seem to be becoming more and more um, uh, defensive about Sandor's typical shtick, you know. And uh, after Murder Mystery, you know, which is pretty boring, I was like, I just wanted to get back to making, like, dumb voices. You know, basically I want him to be... What, what I want from Adam Sandler is to be, like, the equivalent of, like, a shitty 80s or 90s, like, Wong film. You know what I mean? Mm. And I think I think the expectation, which when I saw the trailer, I was like, okay, he's doing a really dumb voice. This is going to be great. It's going to be really tasteless. Um, but it uh, it doesn't hit that high, unfortunately. Uh, I thought this movie was uh, basically like nothing. <laughs> like it was like watching nothing. It is nothing. <laughs> uh, it's I funny don't... to bring up Wong Jing. Sorry to stop you there, um, because like Wong Jing is effective. Whatever you want to mm. say about Wong Jing. It, it works somehow. <laughs> like, it's so sort of shamelessly tasteless. And there's just the, yeah, there's, there's the shameless, there's the energy to his yeah. stuff. Even no matter how much you resist, he, he, he finds a way under your guard with, like, the stupidest gag. Yeah. And there's just no comparison with someone like Sandler. And the, the craft inherent in, like, the Hong Kong film industry at that point is at such a high level as compared to, like, the shitty, like, green screens that this was shot on. <laughs> Uh, but I didn't uh, laugh a single time, so. <laughs> I laughed one time. Oh, let's hear it. I did, okay, I, I will take that. I had like a, like a, I had a moment where I thought I might laugh, where he gets hit by the car, and that was it. Mm. That was it. That's all I I'll, I won't spoil it yet. Mm. Um, um, I won't tell you where I laughed, but. Uh, um. But, but, you know, there are movies that we watch for the show that are terrible, but I, I have a perverse enjoyment of watching them because they're so bad, and they like, they're painful, and that I enjoy thinking about you and be like, suffering through them you know what i mean it does make certain films more um enjoyable when we know that we both have to watch it and we both have to talk about it this was not one of those films either i didn't think it was like insufferable you know it's just sort of like nothing there's like nothing on screen it is nothing uh i did think i did think his accent was impossible to understand i thought that like i agree i couldn't understand half i I got like yeah maybe like one fourth or a little more than that like like 40 percent of the stuff that he said no idea why he decided to to go with this like mumbly nonsense. Like, it's funny because there's a point in the film where a character makes reference to the fact that he has like a advanced vocabulary, 
Mm. And that was obviously part of the screenplay, but I was like, I didn't hear any of those words. Yeah, I didn't catch that. <laughs> Actually, there's one part where he says, uh, what's that yeah, word? Yeah, I, I, that's, that was the only bit I picked up as well. But I'm, I'm presume, I presume it was part of his dialogue all the way through, but it was just hard to notice. I like that. I, I, I thought the part that, I mean, I didn't laugh at it, but I, I like the part at the end where Ray Liotta is about to get burned up. I actually didn't mind the reveal of it being his mother, if we can spoil it. If oh, whatever. film is possible to spoil. I didn't mind that as like, I thought it was going in a more predictable direction. Hmm. But it was like, well, how are they going to resolve it with his mother? That's kind of a downer, isn't it? But then she just disappears and never comes back. So yeah, <laughs> she doesn't go to jail. It'd be great if she just got shot down. So this is like the R-rated cut of this. That would have been much better, I mm. think. Uh, one thing I asked thought was funny is how I didn't realize that that Stranger Things kid was like so Canadian. Hmm. <laughs> but he came off as very Canadian in this movie. Actually, the accents in this movie were also really bizarre, just, just in general. It never felt like, I mean, except for Sam, where I guess he's doing like a Massachusetts thing. Like, you know, there's there's farmers that are kind of like Southern, you know. It was very odd. But, you know, it's just, it's just, uh... Adam Sandler's friends, who apparently—I mean, it's, it's like it's like so weird that like Steve Buscemi has been into like four Adam Sandler films and he hasn't been in like Coen Brothers films, you know? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why that is. Uh, I was actually okay. I, I was thrown through sort of loop because I didn't read the credits of this movie before I watched it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I swore, I was like, oh, you know, you see that shock of blonde hair under the uh, mask of the, the person who escapes from the insane asylum. And I was like, that has to be David Spade. <laughs> but it's Rob Schneider. Actually kind of enjoyed that bit, too, uh, if I'm being honest. I mean, it wasn't like funny, but I was like, okay, you know. I was just like, where's, where's Schneider? Where's Schneider? He's got to be in this. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think uh, Schneider is often like you know when you when you talk about these movies he's often like the one of the most offensive parts but I thought he was fine here you know he doesn't really do much yeah I kind of enjoyed the chemistry between him and Buscemi actually <laughs> um, it's it's Sandler and all his Republican friends right yeah yeah because Spade is a Republican as well isn't he even though he's not in this uh, I mean I assume so but <laughs> I know everyone... I know Sandler is Schneider has to be I think everyone from that. Uh, that era of SNL is a Republican. Probably Lord Michaels is a Republican too. <laughs> Probably. No, he's one of those Republicans. He's like, do you know what the Weekend Project is? No. It's this like cuck group of Republicans who are like, we have to bring the party back to its roots. We're oh, campaigning for Joe Biden. I was I was about to say like one of those like, <laughs> I'm a Republican, but I don't agree with Trump. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly that. Which is the worst type of Republican in a way. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm still going to vote for all of this. I mean, it's like, it's whatever. Democrats do the same thing. So Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Just look at, look at voting records. Oh, all those people should be machine gunned. <laughs> that's all I have to say. <laughs> you don't have to include that. <laughs> um, what, what are we talking about? Oh, yeah, Hubie Halloween. Uh, I do find that his, his, uh, you know, on one hand, Hubie is supposed to be this, like, figure of ridicule, right? But he's also supposed to be, like, cool. It's, it's so weird. I, don't, I really don't understand. Like, I think these movies would be way more enjoyable. I mean, this is a revelation I had when I was a teenager, actually. I was, like, 14 or 15, and I watched, like, maybe, like, You Don't Mess With The Zohan or something like that. And I was like, these movies would be so much better if he did, like, try to shoehorn, like, a sweetness into the you know what I mean? Yeah. If they were just, like, really, like, like go for broke, like, offensive comedies. Like, give me some, like, Farley Brothers shit, you know? Because they're never good anyway, I don't mind the sweetness because it's another layer of mm. amusement I can get, at least <laughs> at the film's expense. Because it's so funny to me the way they have to like try and make the woman from Ed fall in love with Sandler <laughs> yeah. doing this horrible voice. And somehow make it credible that she's like, I've always loved you. <laughs> like, what? She needs to have her head checked or is it to jab I don't think it should be real to date. You be. You can make that story work, right? But you have to put them together and go through something together and then she learns to love him, right? Yeah. To see the beauty in him. You can't just say that she's always been in love with him. I, I was in love with you since the second grade. I was in love with you since the first grade. But that was also, I, that was, I was amused by the fact that they tried to do that at all. <laughs> I, I like that this film features him cocking Kevin James, which is presumably something that's happened in real life too. Undoubtedly. <laughs> 
I uh, still so like that. Uh, I mean, I'm sure this is a digital joke, but I just like to think that Kevin James is just like really hungover for this entire movie. That's why he doesn't take his sunglasses off at all. <laughs> it's like that level of effort, you know? So I haven't read any pieces about this film, as I, as I said, but I find it kind of strange that the, there doesn't seem to be a lot of discussion around, um, I guess, what could be politely termed Sandler's mode of characterization. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, It's kind of quaint, really. Like, except for the slight increase in diversity among the cast, the only thing that marks this as, like, a modern Sandler comedy is maybe it's laziness, maybe it's more lazy, or maybe I was just nine years old when Happy Gilmore came out or whatever. Honestly, I've, like, never been a fan of his, just, like, period. (laughs) I sort of, like, liked them on the periphery. I certainly had friends who were more into them uh, when I was that age. I appreciated Happy Gilmore and uh, the Billy Madison. I remember watching Happy Gilmore and just being like, this should be funnier than it is. But so. that was where I, I left the, the Sandler camp. Look, certainly there's no single Happy Madison production that doesn't betray a certain laziness. <laughs> but I think Netflix has mm-hmm. taken it to new heights. Yeah, it's definitely true. Because it adds like the Netflix laziness to it, you know? Yeah. The point I'm trying to make is that, like, this this kind of character, um, if I can misuse the term, harkens back to 90s sketch comedy from which Adam Sandler comes. And the, the it's the type of thing that you would sub in for an actual idea or joke on Saturday Night Live to pick a random example. Mm. And, and no one's going to bat an eyelid at this type of um, persona, mm. these, these type of, this type of voice as well. You grew up with it in the schoolyard. You probably did it yourself or were the target of it or both. And whether or not the the show or the film was explicit about whether the character had a a particular issue, and it usually wasn't, there's no getting around the fact of of what it actually was. And that's a stereotype of someone with a mental disability, right? Of course. (laughs) Everyone knew it. You understood immediately. It's, it's quote, unquote, oh, that guy's not all there, right? Mm. And in most cases, certainly where Adam Sandler is concerned, that's the entire joke, basically. Yeah, yeah. To be crude about it, it's just like, look at this R word, right? Like, that's yeah, exactly. the entirety of it. But I do think it's distinct from just betraying someone who's dumb, right? Mm. Yeah, for sure. Which was another sure. crux of that type of comedy. There's, there's clearly some sort of, like, mental difficulty that his characters face. Exactly. And it's just amazing to me that, that all these decades later, he's still doing it. Yeah, and true. even leaving aside the fact that he's making these comedies at all, just the fact that he's still <laughs> he's able to doing get away this with specific it. thing, right? And it's funny to me because from a, a screenplay perspective, it didn't need to be this way. So on paper, Hubie is an eccentric, he's an outcast, everyone bullies him. That doesn't mean he's got a disability, right? It's 100% in Sandler's performance. And he made a, a conscious decision to... To do that voice, mm. I mean, also like easily wrote the movie been, too. Yeah, I know, but it could have easily been avoided, even with the same mm. script. Perhaps not by Sandler, because I think when he's in his own productions, it's either himself or some variation of this voice, right? Yeah, that's that's but the two Mosey plays. Pretty much anyone else you can think of could have pulled this off without having that unpleasant association. So, for example, Kevin James, who appears in this film, could easily have done this role. You know, obsessed with town safely, everyone picks on him, and it would just be Kevin James being Kevin James, right? I'm not not trying to like accrue points by like pointing this out, but that was like kind of a big part yeah, of you're, my. You're so woke, bro. It was a big part of my reaction to this film. It was just kind of amazing to me that he was still doing it, and it, it's yeah, it kind of part of me wall. again relishes the fact that he went from uncut gems to doing this, which which is something. But and to remove. Any morality from the equation, mm. just the idea of, of having having the script, having the idea for this script, writing the script, the entire pre-production process, setting up for the production itself, all the money, the equipment, the crew, the logistics, hundreds and hundreds of people's time. You've got all the cameras set up. You're in Salem. The lighting is, is all set up right. Sandler's on, on set. He's in costume. Stephen Brill calls action and he starts speaking in that voice and and that's the film. Yeah. 
I'll now get to the point where I reveal the only part of the film I laughed at. The only part of the film, uh, the only good joke in this whole film. Mm. After you've watched 100 minutes of this shit, we get the strongest gag. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was funny to me. <laughs> it was let's hear it. Let's hear it. The dedication to the kid from Grown Ups, who was supposed to be in this film but died. Oh, I, didn't, I didn't even see that. You didn't <laughs> see that? No, I mean, I read about the fact that he was supposed to be in the movie and then he died. There's uh, a title card during the credits that says, like, to him and it, like, has some soppy message. It's so, it was so funny. Uh, that that was shit. perfect. That is me. great. That was the funny part. That's great. On a side note, because it comes at the same point of the film, that is, after the film is finished... The way they... I don't know if you watched Stayed Around for the blooper reel in the credits. No. Oh, no. But the way that was actually executed, whoever they got to design it, um, that sequence was... Oh, actually, yeah, yeah, I did, I did watch some of That it. was the film's yeah. sole exhibition of any sort of style, I will say. So credit to the person they got to do that shit. Mm. <laughs> I didn't mind the craft of it, is, yeah. is all I'll say. But it wasn't really a blooper reel. It was like outtakes mixed in with... It was like, it was, yeah, it was like kind of bloopers plus these were the actors in the film. Some of the clips weren't bloopers, but some were. Mm. Um, Another note of quaintness, the asthma prejudice, which I found very funny. Oh, yeah. And here I'm more qualified to to speak about this. I mean, I may have an undiagnosed mental disability, sure, but I definitely have asthma. (laughs) So back in the day... This might be a bit before your time, but you probably saw it somewhere here and there. If you see like a character in a comedy pull out uh, an asthma inhaler, it was shorthand for, oh, this guy's a nerd, this guy's a loser, right? Yeah, 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 definitely. But like we've moved on from that particular trope. No one does that joke. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the last time I saw an asthma inhaler in a movie. Yeah, exactly. And it, it, we haven't moved on because anyone's more sensitive to it. No, it's just like moved on. There's there's more. Tar- there's other targets. And it's also not really a thing. Um, I'm assuming asthma treatment has improved. I mean, I've experienced that to some extent. It's definitely less visible than it was because you don't need to be having an inhaler all the time in front of people. And I think even when I was a kid and I had more severe asthma, I never had to pull out my inhaler in front of people, right? Mm. It's just amazing to me that <laughs> that anyone is making that sort of joke in this film. It is weird. What a weird movie. I give it zero stars, but not because it's like torturous, just because it doesn't seem to exist. It just doesn't exist, yeah. <laughs> I try to remember anything about it. I thought of some good jokes they didn't do. Good jokes that would have been good in the context of this type of film, not like great jokes in general. But like... There's this running gag at the start where, you know, he, he is an insult, but he's telling everyone that he's got this Canadian girlfriend, right? And no one believes him. And what if the Canadian girlfriend showed up? Ah. And he says it a couple of times. Yeah. So uh, the obvious joke there, and this would have been kind of amusing, I think, is after the whole film plays out and he gets together with the girl from Ed, mm. they're embracing whatever. Then we should have got uh, the Canadian woman show up and go, Hubie, what are you doing with that woman? Yeah, come on. I mean, I mean, uh, yeah, that, that sounds like an obvious joke that I wouldn't have laughed at, but that's a home run. Yeah, that's a higher caliber joke than anything in this film, with the exception that's of the true. dedication to that dead kid. <laughs> that is really funny. Oh, but you know what I do like is that uh, I, I like that Sandor is following the Judd Apatow route, which is uh, Cassie's children in his lazy productions. You know what I mean? Who were who were his children? The two girls are his kids. Ah, uh, okay. Um, and you can tell because I'm sure that the reason that they're foster children is because they don't look anything like like the woman that they cast. It <laughs> 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 do kind of look like Adam Sandler, you know. So that makes sense. Yeah, on reflection, wasn't the shack bit hilarious? <laughs> oh god, that was awful. <laughs> That was the one part of the movie where I was like, oh, this is so offensive. I hate this. Just a bit of timely transphobic humor as well. Yeah. yeah. For good measure. With, with like enough plausible deniability where he's like, that's not actually about trans people. <laughs> yeah, that was terrible. I hated that. But the idea like that, that it's transphobic for a couple of reasons. But the idea yeah. that the initial premise of it is just, look, it's Shaq. And he's speaking in a woman's voice. Uh, what? I fucking, I, I fucking hate Shaq. I hope he dies. And that's the joke. 
it's this is it's amazing this film exists and it doesn't exist at the same time. <laughs> it does feel like a cultural artifact from like the early two thousands. Yeah. Anyway, let's uh, get into the next part, shall we? Our new segment, which is called. Do you want to cue us up for it? It's called Drunken Mastermind. What is the premise of this new uh, this new segment, Hugh? What is Drunken Mastermind? Um, it's a trivia game that you came up with, so maybe you should explain it. So, um, we're kind of reviving an old tradition that we've let fall to the side, which is introducing new segments that have a little pun on uh, a Jackie Chan movie. Uh, in this mm-hmm. case, we're, uh, you know, the movie in question is, I guess, Drunken, uh, Drunken Master and also The Legend of Drunken Master and Drunken Master 2. That's right. Um, and uh, what we're going to do is each one of us is going to ask the other one three trivia questions about or related that to... relate the, to the main feature. Yeah, about okay. or relate to the, to the main feature in some way. Uh, mm-hmm. And if the person who is... Being asked the question gets the question right, then the person who asked the question has to drink, take a drink. If they get it wrong, they have to take a drink. Um, that's basically all there is to it. Uh, so I hope that you've been hard at work at your questions because I'm very excited for this. Yeah, I'm excited too. I think you should ask the questions. Or we, or we do we volley back and forth, or you ask? Yeah, we, we volley back. We volley back and forth. All right. Oh, I'm going to have to fill up my wine. I didn't realize I'd have to drink that much, and I've already drunk in my glass. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll be one second. Hey, hurry up, though, bro. Tim Meadows is a fairly frequent collaborator of Adam Sandler, presumably owing to the fact that they're both alums of Saturday Night Live. Can you name one of the other movies that they have started together? Okay, so we just want to be clear on the ground rules here. You we're, one guess. We're using the honor system. We're not referring to any website or phone device to research the answer in yes, real time. Yes, we're doing course, this off the top of, course, of our heads. Of course. So I've encountered a hurdle immediately with your question. Am I allowed to ask uh, who Tim Meadow is? <laughs> uh, he is the African-American gentleman. He plays the uh, guy who actually kind of offensively named Mr. Hennessy. With Maya, with Maya Rudolph. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I guessed that before I finished my question, actually. <laughs> um, I've definitely seen him with Adam Sandler somewhere. <laughs> Okay, you better get that drink ready, bro. I'm trying to dredge up exactly where it is. So they're in a film together. They're in several films together. Yeah. But what was your question? They started a film together? My question is, what is one film that they are in together? Right. So if I name an Adam Sandler film, there's a chance (laughs) that he was in it. Yes. I'm trying to think now. (laughs) I'm going to talk through my process to make this more entertaining, maybe. So can I picture him in, I can't picture him in the early films, which isn't to say that he's in them, but let's just rule out (laughs) Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore. I can picture him in a more recent fair. Was he in Murder Mystery? I don't remember him in Murder Mystery. No, So take a drink. No, 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 that was me talking to myself. Oh, oh, so that was not, no, that's not fair, bro. You can't do that. No, but that was like, that was like before (laughs) I got to the guest. Fine, 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 fine. You get one one of these bullshit uh, things. Yeah, this is we're just trialing out the the format. There's some couple of kinks to work through. So anyway, this is me talking through my process. I'll tell you when I'm answering the question. So he wasn't. I know he wasn't in Murder Mystery, as far as I can remember. Um, you should have like a time. uh, 
Uh, like I'm like going to guess clock. that he was in the week off somewhere. Ooh, I'm sorry to say that he is not. Damn it. The, the three films that Tim Meadows shares, well, I guess there's four now, but the three other films that uh, Tim Meadows shares with uh, Sandor are Grown Ups, Grown Ups 2, and Jack and Jill. So there you go. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I'll drink. <laughs> That's right. You will. <laughs> what if I just like destroy you with this? <laughs> I don't know why I guessed a film that I hadn't seen. But... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're going to get it anyway. So My logic was that Chris Rock was in it and maybe he was part of a family that included... Yeah. That's, that's not a bad idea, but, but alas. That was my best guess. Alas. All right, your turn. Mm, let's hear it. Cameron Boyce shares his name with a current <laughs> professional sportsman. What sport does this Cameron Boyce play? This other Cameron Boyce. Oh my god, what the fuck is this? First of all, do you know who Cameron Boyce is? Yeah, he's the guy who died, right? He's the guy who died. Who should have been. This is not even a real film. This is a shitty question. Um, I don't don't know. Uh, So just guess a sport. uh, Hockey. No, it's the Australian sport of cricket. Fuck you, man. I mean, the, the English sport of cricket. Right. Oh, I drank. Good. Okay. <clears throat> I got a good one for you. Ready? <laughs> Aside from Salem and Manchester by the Sea, can you name a Massachusetts locale that also served as a shooting location for the film? <laughs> Aside from Salem and Manchester by the Sea? Yes. I looked at this. The two locations I remembered were Salem and Manchester by the Sea. The third location, which I definitely read, but did not retain, was... Can I even think of well, another the, place that exists? There's more than three, so I, there's four answers that I have written down here. There's four answers? Yeah. Aside from... No, the, but you'll get to name one. Wait, so there's like six locations that appear in this Yeah, film? yeah, yeah. I mean, there's wow. only, it's all stitched together into one seamless hole, but... <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> God, we, we didn't even talk about the bizarre, like, uh, parade sequence, which is clearly green screen. That was so weird. Anyway. So, can I say Los Angeles? Like, presuming they did some interior <laughs> no, no, studio no. work? I said other Massachusetts, Massachusetts oh, locations. Okay, sorry. Massachusetts. Hmm. Honduras? <laughs> uh, nope. The answers I have here are... Linfield, Hamilton, Danvers, and Marblehead. So. Yeah, I would not have guessed any of them. <laughs> so take a drink. Okie dokie. Alright, what do you got for me, bro? Alright, where's my question? So, What is the name of the charitable organization uh-huh. that was set up in honor of the late actor Cameron <laughs> Boyce? Uh, I have no idea. Well, you have to guess. Or you can just give up. Uh, uh, mothers against uh, kids killing themselves. The, uh, no, he didn't kill himself. <laughs> the, uh, how did he die? I've, I've already forgotten this information. I think he died of epilepsy, funnily enough. <laughs> I mean, not funnily enough. But... <laughs> well, it's like not funny, ha-ha, but... <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, bro. Um, so the autopsy result attributed it to the okay, autopsy tell, attributed tell it the to answer this question is sudden unexpected death in epilepsy okay, anyway so the name of the foundation that was founded in <laughs> honor of cameron boyce was uh-huh. the cameron boyce foundation <laughs> all right i'll take a drink see i knew you wouldn't know it like intuitively i mean i knew you wouldn't actually know it from reading about it but mm. I thought you could deduce it because it's a generic name. <laughs> I've, I've, so I was I've giving you very, a chance. A I've been very chance. fair with my uh, questions. And yours have all been bullshit. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. 
Uh, speaking, speaking of uh, frequent collaborators, Steve Buscemi makes an appearance in Hubie Halloween. Excluding this film, how many films have he and Steve were co-starred together in? So excluding this, how many films has Steve Buscemi and Adam Sandler both yeah. been in together? This is a hard question, so I'm going to give you multiple choice for this one. Okay. Okay. A, five films. Okay. Mm-hmm. B, eight films. Wow. C, 10 films, or D, 14 films? I'm going to go with C, 10 films. Ooh, you are incorrect. It's actually 14. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Yeah. Wow. So I'll take a drink there. There's squirt. No one gets anything right in this game. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the fun of it, right? (laughs) That's the fun of it. All right, my final question. Okay. In which Shia LaBeouf vehicle did Grown Ups 1 and 2 cast member Cameron Boyce appear? Fuck you, man. This is not... But this is one you can guess. This is not uh, related to um, uh, the movie at all. It is. It is not. Cameron (laughs) Boyce was responsible for the funniest part of Hubie Halloween. (laughs) That doesn't matter. The other two questions, whatever. But this one is is crap. it's, It's crap. No, but this question is giving you a, a better chance of answering it. The other question is no, like joke not. questions. This is like one you could guess based on your knowledge of Shia LaBeouf, one of your favorite actors. <laughs> uh, I don't know anything about Shia LaBeouf. Let's see. When did he die? He died last year, I think. Okay. Well, I'm just going to guess Honey Boy and then that's it. Uh, no. <laughs> okay. Well, what the is The film it? was 2008's Eagle Eye. <laughs> Which I've seen. Which I've seen too. Uh, okay, In cinemas, no less. Okay, I'll take a drink, and then let's uh, fucking get through bonus features really quick. Yep. So, Hugh, um, I actually think I saw it in, in theaters, too. Wait, which theater did you go to? <laughs> I saw it in... Uh, I, don't, I, can't think of, I can't think of a fake Australian uh, cinema brand. <laughs> Sorry about that. Well, we tried. Bonus features, bonus features, bonus features. Bonus features, bonus, bonus features, bonus features, bonus, bonus features. All right, I'll just do mine real quick because I, I only I watched a couple of films, but I only watched one that's new. So, all right. Um, with you, I watched a film called Star Trek V: The Final Frontier. Oh wow. It's a great film. I think we both agree. Probably the best of the Star Treks. Yep. Easily. I, re- I rewatched Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Ooh. Which I talked about last year. And then I watched uh, two films that I talked about earlier this year, which is Pat Labber and Pat Labber 2. So no need to get into those because my opinions of them are the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I watched one film that I'd never seen before, which is the very first Final Destination movie, which I thought was uh, mm. very enjoyable. A perfect little, uh, uh, you know, violent treat to enjoy this Halloween season. Um, I'm pretty sure everyone knows what this movie is about, but uh, I thought it was uh, very enjoyable to watch these, you know, people die in ridiculous ways. Uh, I, enjoy, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the uh, anonymous early 2000s actors that were in it. And also the uh, ridiculous fashions that they had on. And, uh, yeah, it's just a, it's just a good time at the movies, so... That's Final Destination. Hugh, what have you been watching? Uh, I mean, I guess aside from the aforementioned Star Trek V, the only film I watched was A Walk Among the Tombstones. <laughs> the Liam Neeson film? The Liam Neeson film, yeah. What was the uh, impetus behind you uh, choosing to watch that particular film? Uh, I read some article where someone like sort of recommended it and I was like yeah it sounds like fun so I watched it and uh, how was it it's pretty good stuff pretty enjoyable oh yeah it's pretty bad but also pretty enjoyable what for about so Liam Neeson is like an ex-cop who becomes a private investigator and he uses his hard-boiled techniques to solve uh, the death of some drug dealer's wife or some shit I think you'd enjoy it though actually oh yeah I do like uh, Liam Neeson. And um, who doesn't? I think enough time has passed between that 
um, news story that almost got him cancelled. <laughs> that now I'm at the point where I'm like, it kind of adds extra <laughs> gravitas to his appearances in these films where he's like this obsessive nutcase tracking down people to kill. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. All right. I think that's our show. What are we going to do next week? What are we going to do next week? Well, you, we have a, a very special film that's come out by one of our beloved creatives. <laughs> and that film is, of course, uh, I guess our audience is probably isn't aware of this, but Hugh and I earlier, basically with the pandemic, pandemic started, we decided to wisely use our time in quarantine, no, not to learn a new language or to better ourselves, but to watch the entire run of the uh, hit, not so hit, um, Aaron Sorkin flop, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Well, in a way, we did learn a new language, the language of Sorkinese. Mm. We're going to put this new skill uh, to use by watching Sorkin's second feature uh, film directorial effort, which is called The Trial of the Chicago 7. And that is what we will be watching for next week. Yes. And I've been Hunter Sawyer. I've been Hugh. B. And that has been, for Christ's sake. Project A+. Plus. Nope. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.